Screen Time with John Fardy. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Screen Time. I'm John Fardy and this is News Talks TV and Movie Show. This week on the show, George Clooney on directing his new movie, The Boys in the Boat, about an unlikely rowing team that tries to make it to the Olympics. And I also talk to the stars of the movie, Callum Turner and Joel Edgerton. Plus, we talk about the much-talked-about Golden Globe-winning movie Poor Things, which releases this week in cinemas. I'm open on Twitter, John underscore Fardy, or you can email me screentime at newstalk.com. This show is available as a podcast every Friday at 5pm on newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud, and it's on the radio every Saturday at 6pm here on Newstalk, although this weekend it's coming to you an hour later at the time of 7pm due to some changes with the -the off-the-ball schedule and rug be good weekend to you all i hope you're doing well and surviving the cold it's been very sunny though a lot of lovely winter sunshine you know so let's glass half full it you know my son was saying look at the sun the other days bright red in the evening coming in behind the clouds anyway you're not here for a weather report you were here for tv and movies and the big news in cinema this week i suppose was the golden globes and in particular the irish success killian murphy won for oppenheimer best actor delighted to see that no argument from me outside of flying the irish flag he's brilliant in it will he win an oscar quite possibly But we'll see. We'll see. There was also success for the Irish, as you know, through Poor Things, although it's not, you know, it's a movie that doesn't have many, if any, Irish actors or actresses in it. It's from Element, the award-winning, brilliant Irish studio, Andrew Lowe and Ed Guiney. So great for them. Uh, A good ceremony. The host got a lot of slack. A guy called Joe Coy, a comedian actor I was distantly aware of, the opening monologue and his hosting didn't land and work very well. I mean, there were some jokes that just weren't funny. There was one or two ones that I thought were okay, but the room just, he was not liked. People did not like him at all. And, you know, usually people, you know, like Ryan Gosling and, you know, they, they, they smile along even at the butt of a joke, but they really, they really weren't enjoying him. Now, one thing I didn't like, I don't know if you saw it, but he was kind of roasting the writers. And when jokes didn't land, he was blaming the people who wrote the jokes and saying it wasn't one of mine, which is, which is a pretty poor thing to do. And the one thing I've a small bit of experience with occasionally having to talk in public to people, you know, at events and stuff, if you're losing the room, you don't want to start blaming other people for losing the room or giving out to the audience. It's it's not a good look. So he wasn't terribly successful, it has to be said. But I, I thought the awards themselves went along at a nice pace. And I was pleased with most of the winners. You know, Paul Giamatti, a movie I haven't seen, but he's going to be on the show next week. So I'm going to watch the movie, The Holdovers. Uh, he won Anatomy of a Fall, a great French movie, won for Best Foreign Movie. I was delighted to see success did so well but I was particularly delighted to see that Beef that show on Netflix starring Ali Wong and Steve Young about this couple who have a beef after a traffic kind of altercation it's a brilliant show and I thought Steve Young he just gave a brilliantly funny speech uh, where he talked about his life and anyway take a listen to this in case you haven't heard it it's so weird the story I usually tell of myself to myself is uh, one of isolation and like separateness and then you come up here and you have this moment and you can only just think about everyone else 
And that feels like the plot of Frozen. I just now just... Steve Young there uh, as part of his uh, acceptance speech for his role in Beef, that great series on Netflix. So yeah, I I enjoyed the Golden Globes and I I think they got a lot of it right in terms of who won what. I mean, I think the best movie of the year, as I've told you many times of last year, was Past Lives. Oppenheimer won. I'm not really arguing with that. Oppenheimer is a terrific, terrific movie. My favourite movie of the year happens to be Past Lives. But we'll see what happens with the Oscars. And I have a memory of saying this to you last year and possibly the year before. A lot can happen. Like the Oscar announcements of who's nominated will be out on the 23rd of January. Then they'll be on in March. A lot changes. There are a lot of writers and campaigns and lots of Different things will come to pass. But I think Oppenheimer is going to be there and thereabouts. So interesting time. And we're going to see some great movies being released in the coming weeks. Yeah, so good wins at the Golden Globes. In TV, I want to mention, don't always mention RTE, you know, terrestrial TV or, you know, the national broadcaster. And uh, we tend to talk a lot about streaming uh, for various reasons. I'm not sure why. But I do want to mention their lovely documentary, Sinead, that was on Monday night at 9.35, all about the sadly departed Sinead O'Connor. And it was, I suppose, a straight ahead retelling of her career with some fans of hers and her musical contemporaries like Christy Moore, Imelda May. You had David Holmes in there, who, of course, was working with her. People like Eva Barry, a former guest on this show, talking about just how wonderful she was. Christy Moore in particular, because he, he sang with her a good few times, just the way he described her singing, how it got to him was beautiful. And what I really enjoyed about it was, and even though I'd probably seen a lot of that footage before, even when it happened, her appearances on The Late Late Show were fascinating because she had this really interesting relationship with Gay Byrne. He was like a benign uncle and sometimes he could be a little condescending to her. And as the relationship went on, she kind of fought back a bit, but also kind of acknowledged how much she liked him and how fond of him she was. So it had some great archival footage, particularly that moment where she talks to Kenny Everett about the Tories' treatment of gay people, which is a searing piece of TV. And something I'd seen many times but hadn't watched in a long time was her famous, not just the tearing up of the picture on the Pope, which we we saw twice in it, but a week later when she's in Madison Square Garden at the Bob Dylan Tribute Concert, and she is booed off the stage in essence and, and, and sings War by Bob Marley again a cappella. But it, it, it showed the whole of that and it, it's spine tingling. Just her bravery for attempting to stare down that crowd. Uh, a remarkable talent, a remarkable presence who is still, you know, we're still in shock that she's not around anymore. And a, a dovetailing of events this week where her cause of death of natural causes was revealed. So it was you know, nice is the wrong word, but it was perfect timing for this lovely documentary on RTE, simply called Sinead, and it's on the player. And uh, I suggest you watch it because it was a fine, fine watch. Let me know if you might have been watching the Golden Globes or indeed Sinead or anything at all. You can tweet me, John underscore Fardy, or the email is screentime at newstalk.com. Now, listen, folks, we better get to this. What can I do for you, Joe? On my seat back. Why? All that time I spent in it, the work we all did together. 
that boat. That's all I got. The boys and... I can't lose that. That was a clip of the boys in the boat. And you heard Callum Turner there opposite Joel Edgerton. The Boys in the Boat is a sports drama based on a wildly successful book, certainly in America, written by Daniel James Brown. It was directed by George Clooney. And it's all about the 1936 University of Washington rowing team that will eventually go on and compete at the Summer Olympics in Berlin. It's a true story, and it's taking place in kind of post-depression Washington state. And we have a Joe Rance. He's played by Callum Turner that I mentioned. A self-starter who's abandoned by his father and stepmother at a young age, and he lives in a shanty town in his big dreams. And he's stubborn, he's hardworking to a fault, but I guess that kind of stubbornness and determination doesn't pay the bill. So a fellow student encourages him to try out for the rowing team, a spot that comes with food and lodgings and enough money to pay for college. So that's kind of why he goes for it. He shows up at the tryouts with hundreds of other guys who are kind of in the same situation. They just want food and lodgings and money. And there's a coach, Al Ulbrickson, played by Joel Edgerton and the assistant coach, Tom Boyles, makes it clear that the stakes are high. There are only nine spots in the boat to fill. Now it's grueling and tankless, but Joe eventually makes the team. And then all these guys in the boat from different backgrounds bring very different perspectives to the boat and the boat kind of becomes a metaphor and they bond and then they make their way to the Olympics. And I won't say any more than that. And it's kind of in the vein of Chariots of Fire. It's a good, good old fashioned movie, sports movie in that way. Now, Callum Turner is a British actor who plays Joe Rance, probably best known for his role as Scamander in Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald and Fantastic Beasts and The Secrets of Dumbledore. And he was also in The Capture, the BBC One series for which he won a BAFTA. So I got to talk to him, who plays the lead rower in the movie The Boys in the Boat, and also its director, one George Clooney. Now, I don't think I need to give you any introduction to George Clooney. So I will simply say, I spoke to them a while ago. So here's George Clooney and Callum Turner. Hi, John. Hi, John. Greetings from Dublin, Ireland. How oh, are you? Oh, Jesus. How are you? I'm great. How are you guys? Very good. Nice you know, you know, Super. I don't want to say too much, but the Clooney is Irish, you know. Oh, I'm well aware of it. Oh. Listen, let's get into all this good stuff. <laughs> I, uh, I gather, George, that you read this book and as they might say in The Sopranos, you were hot for it from day one <laughs> and you were really keen to get it made over the last 10 years. What was it that kind of grabbed you about it initially? You thought, I got to make a movie about this. Well, you know, it's a best-selling book, a huge, huge hit book. And I, I, think, I think it's kind of the same thing that probably got you too, which is we like underdog stories. We always have, you know. I know it's a, it, it, it is those kind of stories. The fun part is it's true. So when you see a film like this and you see all the ridiculous thing, the kid gets sick and the, all the things that happened, they actually happened. So it, those are those kind of films that if they weren't true, you couldn't do them, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And Callum, I read this interesting thing that part of your performances, Joe, you were trying to channel, certainly in part, a bit of James Dean, which I could kind of see. Can, you, can, you, tell me a bit of, you, can you tell me a bit about that? You know, actually, it wasn't really James Dean. Uh, Gary Cooper in High Noon was my, was my main oh, reference. Okay. 
and then Woody Guthrie. Those two as a combination. And we talked a lot about yeah. those old movies. And yeah. Spencer Tracy was someone that. There's that a guy he wait, may or not remember. There's a guy named Joel McRae who did all like Sullivan's Travels and stuff. He reminded me a little bit of that too. But we talked about the film being an old-fashioned movie. Like proper yeah. movie, we have the the kiss at the train station, which feels like it's from nineteen fifties, you know. And yeah. we really even the kiss we had to do differently than yeah, we, yeah, yeah, than yeah. you do. You know, you want it to be that kind of mash your face kind of kiss instead of like <laughs> it's that know. old school Hollywood romantic. And then Hadley too as well. Yeah, so she's beautiful. amazing. Yeah. And Callum, did you get into? I'm sure you're in good shape anyway. But rowing is very physical. Did you have to do a lot of prep you, work for that, or worst, did you just learn it on set? I was in the worst shape of my life before I started this movie. <laughs> he showed up, and I was like, "Oh my God, we're dead." Yeah. And then and then he saw me row, and then you were like, "This oh, is not happening." Oh, dude, the rowing. When we put those eight guys in the boat, it was literally like I mean, I, I can't explain to you what it was like. It was horrifying. The most embarrassing moment <laughs> of my life. And then they kept paddling away and paddling away. But you know, they trained for like three months because they were training while we were shooting too. So they'd mm. finish a day of shooting and then put on their short shorts and go out into the there boat. We go. But George does this one wow. thing. He finishes at like three o'clock in the afternoon. So <laughs> everyone's ecstatic on set and everyone's going home and having like, you know, a drink and here we go on the boat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, the, the, the fun part was by the end, you know, we had like the real Washington team came out to visit us that's right i read that and they were like dude you guys can row and it was really nice uh, you know that's a, it was yeah. a real compliment to the their athleticism but also the determination to make it look good and actually rowing yeah. is um it's a spiritual thing you know and and to mm -hmm. george's point at the beginning it was awful we weren't good at all and to achieve what <laughs> we did by the end was it was it was a special thing to be a part it of, was real i mean even the, the the olympic coaches that trained them yeah. When they first started, Terry, when they first started, Terry's like, I don't think this is going to work, guys. He literally called me going, uh, it's not going to work. But they, they got really got together, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It looks great. Just in closing, George, yeah. I may never meet you again. And uh -oh. I just have to quickly say my favorite role of yours is up in the air. Oh. Uh, and in a, in a line, I, it occurs to me, is that a metaphor for men working too hard? Uh that, that's what I always think of, because a lot of guys like that movie. Do you have well, that do. reaction? I don't well, I don't. I, I like working hard. You know, I'm 62 years old and I get to still do what I love. And not everybody gets to do that. And I, do, I don't take that for granted. So I've always believed in working hard. And, you know, there seems to be a little bit of a mentality now coming out of the pandemic, too, where everybody's like, well, we don't want to have meetings on Friday and we don't want to. And, and I kind of like the other version. I like the version where it says this. Well, can I tell you, sorry to interrupt you. I'm on holidays oh. for a week from work, but I said yes to this because it was you guys. You so see? we're in unison. Where are you on They're holiday? I'm just at home with my kids and oh, all that kind of stuff. Like that's, not, holiday. <laughs> that's not a holiday at all. Are you kidding? I'd be at work for should, sure. <laughs> I should tell my wife. Lovely to meet you both. And boys in the boat Have in the boat vacation. is great. Thanks a lot. Cheers. George Clooney and Callum Turner there talking to me about the boys in the boat. And just to say, that is true. When I did that interview, I was on a week off, but I did the interview. So I had to tell him that when George went into his little chat, his little 
kind of rant about the modern working world, I had to tell him I was on his side of the page where I was working on my day off. But I guess most people would work on their days off to talk to George Clooney. And I should mention, good heavens, The Boys in the Boat is in cinemas uh, from this Friday, the 12th of January. Now, after the break, we'll have more of The Boys in the Boat because I will be talking to the man who plays the coach, the great Australian actor, Joel Edgerton. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time, News Talks TV and Movie Show. If you're listening on the radio, we're coming to you an hour later this week at the time of 7pm. But don't let that put you off because the stars continue here on Screen Time. Before the break, I was talking to George Clooney and Callum Turner about The Boys in the Boat, this rowing movie in the 1930s. Well, it's just out. 12th of January it's released but it was set in the 1930s about this underdog rowing team that make it to the Olympics now the coach in this movie is played by the great Joel Edgerton. The coach is a kind of a straight ahead man of few words and he plays it Joel Edgerton plays him with a great subtlety and kind of has a knack for small gestures, you know. Uh, he, he's great as the coach. Uh, he's a classic coach in it. They say little, but they're they're really into it, and uh, every gesture counts. Now, Joel Edgerton, you know, again, doesn't need a huge introduction. Australian actor. A lot of people know him from Star Wars, playing Own Lars in the Star Wars films Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. He also played the same role in Obi-Wan Kenobi on Disney+. Plus. From an Irish point of view, we saw him opposite Ruth Negga, in the great movie Loving from 2016, all about an interracial couple and the problems they faced. Uh, he was in The Secret Life of Us, a great Australian TV show from the early noughties. He's also made movies. He's done an awful lot of things. Fascinating guy, great guy to talk to. Here's a little clip of him giving his first speech to the assembled crew who want to ride in his boat. And after that, you'll hear my interview with Joel Edgerton. I'm Coach Overton. Well, that's Coach Bowles, Coach Brown. Now, you're all here because we're looking for the eight most qualified young men to fill out JV boat. That means that most of you will not be chosen. In fact, the majority of you will most likely walk away on your own within the next few weeks because your bodies will hurt, your minds will tire, and you'll decide this dream of yours to compete against the greatest crews in the world is just not worth it. Well, there's no shame in that. Eight-man crew is the most difficult team sport in the world. The average human body is just not meant for such things. It's just not capable of such things. But average is not going to get a seat on my boat. Hi, John. I'm good. Thank you, man. I watch a lot of English soccer for my sins, and you see these angry managers standing on the sidelines and coaches. <laughs> and I read this thing in the production notes about you saying, that's the way coaches are. They just seem miserable all their lives. Was that kind of what drew you to this? I'd like to play a coach. Yeah, there was uh, there was a couple of lines of dialogue in the early script that I read about how this guy should smile more, and he <laughs> he, he had a real like angry face. I was like, they're the coaches that I'm fascinated by. They're the only ones that draw me away from a game of football. They're pacing up and down like on the verge of a heart attack. And you're like, why do you even do this job? It looks like yeah. it's so awful. Um, <laughs> but it's a sign how much they love their sport and they want to win. Mm, yeah. So, yeah. I was really into the idea of playing one of those guys. I don't want to go down a sporting rabbit hole here because we're here to talk about the movie, but what's the team 
you're watching? Is it rugby? Is it football? Is it American football? What's your sport when you watch sports? I, I watch a bunch of different sports. AFL football, Australia, yeah. you know, football. And um, that's the main thing that I'll kind of seek out. But okay. I mean, if I walk past television and any sport is playing, <laughs> like I'm a moth and I just stop. And yeah. It's hard to have like social conversations in a pub, for example, because there's yeah. like sports going on all over the place. Yeah, I hear you. Back to the movie, though, and, and the boys in the boat and the coach, Al Brixton. Did you, was there much about him in the world for you to find out? Or maybe you don't even go there because you're just working on what's on the page. Or how did you approach that? Yeah, not not a lot of information. I mean, a little bit of information, but no, like, recordings or footage, real footage. Yeah, sure. Um, but, you know, uh, he looked kind of almost exactly like my grandfather, my, wow. my Dutch grandfather. Um, and every time I saw photos of Ulbrichsen, I, I, just, I just kept reminding me of my Alpa. And, um, uh, yeah, but not a lot of detail. I was more interested in just going, okay, what – what do we want to say with the mechanics of this story and how could I, how could I participate in a way that, that serves a story the best and then just, you know, and then grimace as much as possible. Yeah, yeah. And George, who I spoke to earlier, said you kind of had that straight away. There was a gravitas to this guy that you brought. So, so that's a compliment. But I was talking to Callum as well. He had to get ripped and in shape. He got wet a lot because, and you look fine. Don't get me wrong. But did you, could you avoid all that? Because you were largely on the bank. Now, I know you were in boats and stuff, but you didn't have to get as wet as someone like Callum, I'm assuming. No, we didn't have to train. Anywhere near as much as those guys. I just was inspired watching it from the sidelines. There, mm. there was a couple of um, sessions that I did in a single skull that there was a sort of a plan for me to be in, um, you know, going out just checking the river, you know, sort mm -hmm. of checking the currents. And all that. so I did some single sculling, which, I mean, hats off to anyone who's a single skull. The, 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 it's, it's a difficult thing to do. And I managed to never fall off. Wow. Found out that all of the crew, all of the guys that were training Callum and the boys had uh, had a wager going about not if I would fall off, but when I would fall in. <laughs> so and you didn't have to pay out. Excellent. Never had to pay out. Yeah. No one made any money off me. Wonderful. Wonderful. Listen, can I just ask you briefly, I'm a big admirer of a movie you were in a while ago now called Loving, opposite oh our own Ruth Negga, who's Irish as well. You know, yeah. you've played plenty of heroes, but it, it strikes me that he's a different kind of hero, Richard Loving. He wasn't a normal hero, but in a way he was the most heroic character you've ever played. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, that was one of the um, fascinating things about that movie was the sort of quiet strength of two very kind of otherwise insignificant Human beings, you know, I, I think the power of stories is often, um, you know, extraordinary people doing ordinary things, humbling themselves or the opposite, you know, ordinary people achieving something kind of extraordinary. And that's latter, you know, phrase is, is fitting for them. The, the, just the conviction of love becoming a strength rather than a, you know, watching some strong, outwardly strong, uh, verbose character kind of trying to push for political change. Mm. I, you know, I was really, that's one of the most wonderful experiences I've, I've ever had. Um, and partly thanks to Ruth. Yeah, yeah. 
Wonderful. It just turns out I have four more minutes. I hadn't realized. I must have misread the time. So we still have four minutes. I have lots more to ask you. So that's wonderful, yeah. Joel. For me, maybe not for you, but no, it's no, wonderful. No, I'm good with this. Tell me this. I, I, I've been talking to a few actors since the strike ended and post-COVID and all. I'm just yeah. wondering, as a big enough movie star, have the last three years with everything that's gone on in the world been a very strange time in your acting life or... Did you find a way through it all? I, I look. I've had a, I had a pretty wonderful uh, COVID, to be honest, because it started because I'd been a workaholic and I and I was forced to kind of do nothing. And I was lucky, you know, I was a lucky person that I had a house that I could mm. sit in, and I had a little bit of money in the bank, so I was very blessed. And then I became a father, and I had. COVID twins. <laughs> wow. Well, congratulations. And Boys or girls? A boy and a girl. Oh, wow. A gentleman's family, as we say in this part of the world. Yeah, and the French call it faux jumeaux. Fake ah. twins. Fake twins. <laughs> and, um, and they've been my, um, you know, they've been everything for me. You know, they, nothing can really bother me now unless something is, is affecting them. So the strike as much as I was hoping for it to end at some point, I always knew that the, 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 the silver lining was I was spending more time with my kids. Um, but, you know, uh, for all the people that, you know, I felt lucky during COVID, I also felt lucky during the strike because all the, you know, all the people that work on crews, you know, all the people that I've worked with that, that you know, drive trucks and caterers and they're all getting affected because actors and writers are looking for a change. And not that I yeah. not that I disagree with the kind of negotiations and all that stuff, but I was I just couldn't help but think about, you know, that I was I was lucky. I was I was lucky enough, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what the next thing is, you know, what's the next <laughs> thing that's gonna yeah, we, we, we'll see. We'll see. Tell me this. You know, I'm sure a lot of people talk to you about Star Wars and it's probably people of my generation. I think it was the second movie I ever saw when I was four was The Empire Strikes Back. So when you're in front of someone who was in that franchise, it's just like, oh, my God, let's talk Star Wars. And I was trying not to, but I can't. But has that the fandom of that franchise does it does it surprise you that you can be anywhere in the world and people want to talk to you about star wars it it's the gift or the curse i don't know that never stops giving i imagine i think uh who was it an actor told me secondhand that liam neeson because you know we all go to these events and i could be here for boys in the boat and and the most of the photos i'm signing are like me you know in my Hessian Tatooine outfit uh, from Star Wars. <laughs> I, someone told me, and you, maybe if you ever talk to Liam, find out if this is true, that he was like, you know, everywhere he goes, it's Kree Gong, you know, he's signing those things. And he's like, but I was Schindler for sake, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but it is the gift that keeps on giving, and it was the big gift that opened a lot of doors for me. And sure. I said this before in the very beginning when I was in Australia trying to sort of imagine myself, um, you know, going off to fight the empire in Hollywood that, that I got given a chance by being in that movie. And so sure. I'll always, I'll always um, love that. Yeah. yeah. The fans are crazy, man. Like crazy good and crazy, 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 you know, <laughs> and, and everything in between, but they're wonderful. Yeah. Well, listen, our time is actually up now. You're great in boys in the boat as you are in just about everything I've seen you. And it's lovely to talk to you, Joel. Thank you. Thanks, John. 
Joel Edgerton there talking to me about his role as Al Ulbrichson in the new movie The Boys in the Boat and a few more things besides like having twins and Star Wars and the fandom of Star Wars. Yeah, so The Boys in the Boat, a good old-fashioned kind of sports movie, as I say, kind of in the vein of something like The Chariots of Fire and Callum Turner and Joel Edgerton are great in it. And uh, yeah, so I enjoyed my chat with all the cast there, as I hope you did. Now, from an Irish point of view, we had a great success at the Os- no, I nearly said the Oscars at the Golden Globes this week, of course, with Killian Murphy and Oppenheimer, but also Jorgos Lanthimos' new movie, Poor Things, which is from Element. And we'll be telling you what all the hype is about, or not, after the break in the company of Chris Wasser. Now you're welcome back to Screen Time News Talks TV and Movie Show. Now, a big cinema release this week as well is Poor Things, the movie that, well, I, Cleaned Up is overstating it. It won two, albeit very significant, awards at the Golden Globes earlier in the week. And it is, of course, from Element Pictures and the latest movie by Yorgos Lanthimos, starring Emma Stone and Mark Ruffalo. I haven't seen it, but thankfully, regular critic... Chris Wasser has. Chris, hello, how are you? John, I'm very well. How are you? Very well. So, I haven't seen it, unfortunately. I seem to be saying that to you all the time. Really <laughs> must get to the cinema more. But uh, I know a lot about it, despite not having seen it. But it's like, you know, a fairy tale version of Frankenstein in sorts, in that Mark Ruffalo, well, not Mark Ruffalo, William Defoe brings back Emma Stone to life. That's pretty much it, yeah, John. And I was going to say as well, you need to watch more movies if you're presenting a movie show. Um, no, I'm joking, but uh, it is exactly that. It's a demented fairy tale for adults. And the first thing you think of within the first 10 minutes is, this is like Yorgos Lanthimos' Frankenstein. But it is, in fact, based on a 1992 novel by the late Scottish writer Alistair Gray. And there have been plans to bring some sort of you know, screen adaptation to audiences you know, since its publication. And Jorgos Lanthimos has certainly been circling this for, for a decade, if not longer. And I think it's it's a case of as his star begins to rise, and we see this with so many directors, once they're, you know, once they make their Oscar film, or once they make a film that's huge at the box office, in this case, it was probably the favorite uh, for which Olivia Colman won an Oscar and it was nominated for Best Picture. Then that's when a studio comes knocking and says, what else have you got? What have you got in the drawer? What, what do you want to make that you've been talking about for years? And this is that film. Um, so we have Emma Stone in the lead. She is, we're, it's, it's set in Victorian London. Um, a disfigured scientist, uh, uh, his name is, is, is Dr. Baxter. He's played by the great Willem Dafoe. Um, he comes across this extraordinary young woman a, a, a local who he's never met who actually dies by suicide and he's just he's rather taken with her and he sees her uh she basically jumps off of a bridge and he sees her in the water below and he takes her back to the laboratory and he brings her back to life how exactly he does this we don't know we don't ask any questions but she is essentially i don't want to give too much away but she's equipped with the brain of a baby and that means that when she awakes, you know, she's she's quite unsteady on her feet. You know, her intelligence is at zero and she needs to kind of rediscover life again. She needs to learn everything all over again. And that involves learning, you know, right and wrong and all all of life's wicked tricks and handsome treats. And as her intelligence develops, she kind of, you know, develops a, a, a disambiguation 
ambitious, lively personality and, 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 and a huge interest in the outside world. You have this doctor, this scientist uh, trying to keep her indoors, but she wants to see the world. And it's good timing that, you know, because this this lawyer by the name of Duncan Weatherburn, who's actually supposed to be uh, signing her off to another man. She's basically promised to another man and, uh, uh, you know, she's she's going to be married. This lawyer takes a shine, shine to her and he offers to show her the world and she jumps the opportunity. I should say the lawyer is played by Mark Ruffalo. So essentially we have Emma Stone and Mark Ruffalo setting off on this adventure of this cartoon world designed by Yorgos Lanthimos. Now, uh, so far, so, so fairy taleish. The various things she encounters along this journey, wild and wacky and sometimes very racy. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, there's a lot, a lot of sex in this film. And it's, it's so funny that, uh, you know, we've seen various reports that some American audiences have been quite prudish when it comes to the sex in this film. There is a lot of it, but there's nothing to be complaining about. So, you know, we're, we're all grownups. I think we can handle this. Um, but it is, it is quite racy, right? It is quite absurd. It is just undeniably bonkers. I mean, for those that went to the lobster and thought, well, that's a bit quirky. For those that sat through the killing of a sacred deer and thought, well, that's a bit unusual. <laughs> double that triple it quadruple it just keep going it's it's the most yorgos lantimosy film and that's a terrible description maybe but it's the most yorgos lantimos film that yorgos lantimos has made um mm. and i think as well because he's working he he's usually he usually works with a couple of different screenwriters i know tony mcnamara was involved in, in the favors before that he kind of you know wrote or co-wrote his own screenplays this time he's working with someone else's world um so there's already a blueprint there um but still with robbie ryan the Irish cinematographer they've designed and developed this cartoon world that is just it's amazing to look at it's sometimes mm. a bit too much and it's sometimes a little too cartoonish and that takes us out of the drama a little bit but it is just bonkers john this is a world inhabited by frankenstein like ducks with the bodies of pigs you know where where characters just break out into you know dance routines and they all seem to you know know the choreography it's a world where you know uh willem defoe's mad scientist looks a little bit like john hurts the elephant man there's everything in here is weird unfortunately it gets to a stage where that becomes a little bit exhausting. So I was going to get to that because some people are raving about this. Uh, the Golden yeah. Globes gave it two significant nods. Are you raving about it? I will rave about Emma Stone's performance and I know she won the Golden Globes. That's Globe not Award. what I asked you. <laughs> <laughs> not the film as a whole. If everything was as good as Emma Stone, I, I, you know, I might say it differently, but, but okay. she is the, she is the best she has been here. You can't take your eyes off her. Uh, her performance is so, you know, it's, it, it's just, it's engrossing. And clearly this film has just been workshopped and, uh, you know, storyboarded and rehearsed so much that, you know, her it's just incredible work, just it, it, brilliant to watch. And I know she's, she's given us sensational performances before, but yeah, it, I, th I think it's between herself and Lily Gladstone for the Oscar. I know we have to wait for the, for the nominations first, mm -hmm. but, I, but I do see, you know, her potentially winning that Oscar. Um, the film around her, it's just, it's too much. I found it a bit, it's, there are too many muddled ideas and themes. I'm not really sure what exactly the film is, is, is trying to tell us. I mean, there are some interesting ideas there where Duncan Weatherburn, this sleazy lawyer played by Mark Ruffalo, he takes Bella out of, you know, this castle, you know, he frees her and he shows her the world, but he doesn't want her to be too free. He wants, you know, her to be on his time and to be on his schedule. And he hates when she develops a personality of her own. And we can see what Yorgos Lanthimos and, and his team are doing there. Um, 
but for two and a half hours, it, it gets it gets a little bit tiring. The quirkiness gets a little bit tiring. The grotesque nature of some of the visuals gets a little bit too much. So I found it a little bit tedious. And, and also the performances, Emma Stone, brilliant. We'll, we'll put her aside if, if, if that's possible. Mark Ruffalo, he bugged me. I, okay. I, I, I found his pantomime villain shtick to just be, it was almost like something from a different film. And I spent a lot of time when he was on screen imagining who would have been better suited to that role. And I kept coming back to Colin Farrell, maybe because he's worked with Yorgos Lanthimos several times, mm -hmm. but I just, I would have preferred someone else in that role. Okay, that's interesting. And so, you know, I remember it's it's heresy, but everything everywhere all at once. I just felt like it didn't do it for me and I didn't quite get why people were raving about it and why it was cleaning up. I found it a bit tedious at times and that's heresy to say to some people, but it feels a bit like that's what you're saying with this one and you almost, you're almost afraid to put your head above the parapet, not that you would be, because people are raving about it, but you're just kind of, it was dragging for you because it was just too much in it and too, too quirky. Yeah, I found it a little too much. And I agree with you on everything, everywhere, all at once. It's the best film that I never want to see again because I know <laughs> it will collapse in on itself. And I know yeah. I'll ask too many questions. And, and it was just, it was, it was, it was another exhausting cinematic exercise. There was far too much of it. This is mm. sort of similar, you know, it's just too many ideas and too many things happening. And it just keeps, it just keeps pushing and pushing. It's this, you know, Jenga tower of a film that just eventually, mm. for me anyway, fell apart. I can, I can totally understand why people have taken to it and i think maybe it has you know a lot to do with it with, with emma stone's central performance and i think you know despite and i and i didn't hate it john like yeah. not at all you know I, I thought it was quite good um and i do see it being nominated for everything at the oscars but i don't see it coming away with anything other than acting uh, acting um wins Okay, well, I was going to ask you that because in the Golden Globes, we have this strange dichotomy almost where there's best motion picture, but also best comedy or musical. And then when it comes to the Oscars, there's only one category, best film and a movie that's a comedy can be in that. So you're, but you've already answered this. You don't think it's going to win best picture by any stretch? No, I don't think so. And I think it's funny because the, the Golden Globes are not really any sort of indication about where, you know, or how the Oscars are going to go. I think the best indicator of how the Oscars are going to go is when we get into those final weeks and the Screen Actors yeah. Guild Awards come along. That's that's usually spot on. But for, for the Golden Globes this year, actually, there was an interesting thing where it was like Emma Stone won in the best musical comedy and Lily Gladstone won in the drama. It's going yeah. to be between those two, you know, or for even for the for the male actors, Killian Murphy and Paul Giamatti, it's definitely going to be between those two. I don't yeah. see it winning Best Picture. I, I see Robbie Ryan being nominated for Best Cinematography. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if he'll take it. I'm not sure if he'll win on the nice. Um, I, it, the, the long and short of it is I understand the buzz around this film and I wish Element Pictures all the best. And I am usually a huge fan of Jorgen Lantimos' films. I thought yeah. The Killing of a Sacred Deer was terrific the lobster i've watched several times and i love dogtooth is still his masterpiece this one just fell a little short of the mark for me yeah and listen just as i have you there and we could do a whole show on this but we won't so emma stone you think might be in with a show for best actress but do you think killian's gonna go home with best actor I think it's his to lose, but I think coming up mm. behind him is Paul Giamatti because he is so good in the holdovers and, and because so many people love his performance in the holdovers. And it's also that thing as well of an acting veteran, an actor veteran who people have just been raving about for years. And Paul mm. Giamatti has had, you know, enormous success as, yeah. as, as an actor and across film and television. It might be that thing where he'll get his Oscar for the, for, you know, for his service, that sort of thing. Yeah. So it's yeah. between Murphy and Giamatti. 
Well, perhaps I'll mention that to him when he's on the show next week. <laughs> that's 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 how things stand at the moment. So I will have seen the whole overs by next week. But do you not think Bradley Cooper is in with a shout? No, for Maestro. Bradley, no, no. I think Bradley Cooper. I think Maestro will be nominated for everything, and I quite liked Bradley Cooper in in um, in Maestro. But Kerry Mulligan's performance is better because Bradley Cooper's is built around an impersonation, and there's a difference between a wonderful impersonation and a great performance. And I think Academy voters will will see that. Yeah, it's funny though you say that because since we since you reviewed Maestro, I've seen it subsequently, and I actually think it. it it, it's in with a shout because I think sometimes Academy voters love that kind of stuff, that impersonation. Not always, but look, we will see. And we don't want to get into the Oscars too much. So getting back to poor things, which many people have raved about, but you're not as ravey about it, if that's even a word. What are you going to say stars wise? I think uh, there's some great performances in here. It's a beautiful film to look at. Uh, it's certainly among the most ambitious films we're probably going to see in 2024 and, and we should always uh, reward that but it did test my patience at times and mm. by the time it was finished I, I did need to lie down so i'm going to go for three stars which is to say didn't hate it at all would definitely recommend it but i would maybe tell people some people to approach it with caution yeah and just by the by willem defoe who's always great or just great to look at even if he's in bad movies uh how is he in this or is it is it too short a, a role in it he has or yeah do you know what you do miss him when he's not around but when he is he's chewing up the scenery and i'm not really sure yeah. what sort of accent he's supposed to have i think it's caught somewhere between some sort of scottish and irish twang um and, and maybe he's overcompensating too because he's been talking about the fact that he had to come in in the mornings and he'd sit in the makeup chair for four hours while they applied this you know okay. uh, uh, very complicated a prosthetic to his face and then two hours at the end of the day where he was taking it off so sometimes you have that case where an actor will overcompensate and they'll just be louder in the performance so he's always a pleasure but it is a peculiar turn uh, maybe okay. not up there with my, maybe not up there with my favorite Willem Dafoe performance my favorite of his and the, when you mention accents it popped into my head strongly is his accent and his performance in the lighthouse where he's playing this Nova Scotia lighthouse keeper that accent I mean I don't know what a turn of the century Nova Scotia lighthouse keeper sounds like but his accent and that is brilliant yeah John I was well on board with that what was it the um, when uh, when things start to go sideways for the two of them and he's running around the lighthouse saying you have to spill your beans yeah, something yeah. like that yes, exactly. that worked very well for me yeah, yeah it was brilliant but anyway so that is three stars solid uh, but not raving about it for yeah. the much talked about poor things which is in cinemas from this Friday the 12th of January film critic and art critic Chris Wasser thanks a million thanks John Wedderburn became much weepy and sweary when he discovered my whoring I find myself nearly jealous of the men's time with you rather than any moral aspersion against you it is your body Bella Baxter Yours to give freely. I generally charge 30 francs. Well, that seems low. A clip there from Poor Things featuring Emma Stone, who won a Golden Globe earlier this week. And Poor Things is in cinemas from this Friday, the 12th of January. Chris Wasser gave it a solid three, but had some problems with it. But uh, why don't you go and see it and find out what you think? I forgot to mention at the start of the show, something very important to my mind and something that's going to make you feel very old. You may have seen this online in various places, but this week, The Sopranos turned 25 years old. I know, that's kind of scary in terms of time marching on. It was this week 
uh, is my understanding in 1999 that the greatest television show of all time was launched and uh, the golden age of TV, prestige TV that we seem to be living through in the last few years, I think can be directly traced back to, to The Sopranos and just how boundary breaking it was in TV and, and it's, a, it's a work of art, it really is. The greatest TV show ever made to my mind. So uh, there are so many bits of that I could bring you. There's an episode called Pine Barrens that if you're a fan you'll know a lot of people cite as maybe the best episode. I think a close second to that one, Among the Many, and there are many you could choose is an episode called College in the first season when Tony brings Meadow on a college trip to look at different colleges and they have a pretty heartfelt conversation. Are you in the mafia? Am I in the what? Whatever you want to call it, organized crime. That's total crap. Who told you that? Dad, I've lived in the house all my life. I've seen police come with warrants. I've seen you going out at three in the morning. So you never seen Doc Cusimano go out at three in the morning on a call? Did the Cusimano kids ever find $50,000 in Krugerrands and a 45 automatic while they were hunting for Easter eggs? I'm in the waste management business. Everybody immediately assumes you're mobbed up. It's a stereotype, and it's offensive. And you're the last person I would want to perpetuate it. Fine. There is no mafia. All right, look. Med, you're a grown woman. Almost. Some of my money comes from illegal gambling and, and, and whatnot. How does that make you feel? At least you don't keep denying it like mom. Kids in school think it's actually kind of neat. See the Godfather, right? Not really. Casino we like. Sharon Stone, 70s clothes, pills. I'm not asking about those bums. I'm asking about you. Sometimes I wish you were like other dads. Then like Mr. Scangarella, for example. A advertising executive for big tobacco. Or lawyers. Ugh, so many dads are full of shit. And I'm not. Finally told the truth about this. Tony and Meadow spending some quality time there. The late great James Gandolfini and Jamie Lynn Singler there. Playing Meadow from the Sopranos, which turned 25 years old this week. And uh, I spoke to David Chase a couple of years ago about the movie of The Sopranos, The Sopranos pre prequel, The Many Saints of Newark. And he said he loved that episode too, because he felt like it was kind of like a, a movie unto itself. But I would suggest start with the first episode in the first season of The Sopranos. Don't hop around. But if you did have to watch an episode that was self-contained, it's college in season one, which is kind of like a mini movie, as a lot of the episodes were. David Chase, qu quite a prickly fellow when I spoke to him. I remember uh, and wanted to know, had I seen him talk in Dublin because someone had written in a newspaper that he wasn't very nice and wanted to know for me if I'd seen him talk at that and if he wasn't very nice at it. An unusual encounter, but uh, a brilliant TV show from a brilliant mind, The Sopranos. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. We'll do it all again next week. You can listen back to any of this week's show or this year's show so far or last year's show on Newstalk.com or the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. We will be back next week at our usual time of 6 p.m. It'll be it'll be downloadable as a podcast from Friday afternoon. So thank you for listening and I'll talk to you next week.